Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Thousands of Coloradans are reeling from losing their homes and beloved possessions in last week's Marshall Fire. Today, we hear from four people who evacuated and lost nearly everything. By the time the, the governor read the press release, uh, we heard that all 370 homes in the Sagamore subdivision were gone. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Henry Zimmerman. The latest official estimates of the Marshall Fire's destruction put the number of structures gone at 1,084. That includes 550 in Louisville, 378 in Superior, and 156 in unincorporated Boulder County. Total value of the estimated damage is $513 million. Today, we're talking with people who evacuated and lost homes in the fire. Stephen Boatwright is one of them. Stephen, his wife Heidi, their three children, dog, cat, and hamsters, all evacuated from their home in the Sagamore subdivision of Superior last Thursday. Shortly after, they learned their home had burned down. Stephen joins us now to share his experience and how his family has gotten through the last week. Stephen, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me on. So take us back to last week, if you would. What was your day like on Thursday? So my, I had family in town. My sister and her family were staying with us through the holidays. So they were here through Christmas and were set to leave January 2nd. And they were, we were looking for things to do with them. And we were going to take them up to Winter Park to go tubing that day. And then we, we looked at the weather report and there was a, a, a storm coming in. So we decided not to do that. And we instead decided to maybe take them to Red Rocks and show them that just usual touristy stuff. And we drove in two, two vehicles um, back towards uh, the highway down Marshall road. And we actually had left my niece at the, at the house with the, with the pets. She wasn't interested in going to Red Rocks and we got back to the highway. And by then there was, the wind was, so strong we decided to pull over and just talk about it for a second the rocks were hitting the windshield and there was trash cans blown over and we're used to snow and superior or sorry not snow the wind in superior it's always can get pretty windy there in that open space but this was something different so we decided to pull over talk about it and go back and we needed to get food for new year's eve so we went to target and then costco which is right in front of our house it's one minute away from our house Uh, We went to Target and then my sister took the kids back home while my wife and I went to Costco and uh, we smelled a little bit of smoke on our way to Costco, but I don't know, for some reason we didn't think anything of it. And then coming out of Costco, there was, you could see out the doors that it was just, the sky was turning gray and there was smoke everywhere. So we called my sister and she said, yeah, it's smoky here and we're, we're packing things up. So we got home pretty fast and our neighborhood in Sagamore, it backs up right to that open space. It's, you know, there's 370 homes right there. And the great thing about living there was that access to open space, the bike trails, the hiking trails. Uh, but it, with the amount of rain that we didn't have in the past few months, it was pretty dry back there. So 
coming from California and already evacuating in 2017 for the Tubbs fire, we had an idea like this, this could get bad really quick. Went in and tried to just stay calm. My sister already had the kids packed up and they had grabbed some of the animals with two hamsters, a cat and a dog. Uh, and kind of just talked to the neighbors, watched the wind for eight, two minutes. And then we decided let's, let's grab some stuff and go. And also we were slated to spread my mother's ashes the next day. So the first thing I thought to grab was that went upstairs, grabbed the ashes, put them in a tub and wrapped or put the urn in a tub and wrapped some, some clothes around it and went downstairs. And I don't, remember what happened next. I remember going out and just seeing the sky turning black and we'd open the storm door from our front door and it completely broke the door. It was, it was so fast. Uh, so we loaded up the animals, got the cat out from under the, <laughs> under the couch, loaded all the animals. And we didn't even think to grab my wife's vehicle because it was going so fast. And we just got out of there. My sister and her family in the van, we got my truck and just split and headed south to Arvada. Um, so seeing the winds going past Rocky Flats, it was, I think, 115 miles an hour. And it was just, it was insane. I've never seen winds like that before. And looking back at the fire, uh, we didn't see any embers landing in our neighborhood when we left, but our neighbor stayed a little longer, maybe 20 minutes. And his story of seeing the house next to ours, because he lives right across the street from us, but he saw the house next to ours. He saw the front porch on fire by the time he was leaving and just the, the bike path that goes in between our houses and there was nothing obstructing the wind. So it was just a wind tunnel of black soot and smoke howling through the houses when he got out of there. So we went to my cousin's house in Arvada, um, hopped on Twitter, listened to the scanner and just waited and hoped for the best. But by the time the, the governor read the press release uh we heard that all 370 homes in the sagamore subdivision were gone so that was probably about six i'm not sure the exact time at six or six thirty and it sounds like oh. your mother's ashes didn't make it with you they no they did not uh, i don't know where i put them down but in in kind of the midst of the panic they did not make them out which which is a big, big bummer. We were going to spread some of the ashes the next day and then the rest in California, um, up in Northern California in the spring. So haven't been back. Uh, it was a, a nice Lalique um, glass jar, or I guess container that she was in. So I, I'm not holding out hope that it's there. Did you ever get any official word or warning to evacuate? Or it kind of sounds like just everything around you pointed to evacuation? Yeah, we, we never, my family, we never heard anything or got any evacuation notice. Our neighbors said they saw a fire truck drive up through the neighborhood, but they didn't have the siren on. They were just going to the back field area. And with, with those winds and that open field in the back, I don't know what they could have done and not being able to get planes from what we've heard, not being able to get planes up to that. Uh, but it was pretty shocking that there was no sirens because I think the neighbors were going door to door and really trying to alert people. But um, we never heard sirens and the neighbors didn't either. What was it like when you officially heard the news that the homes in, in your area were gone? So we were driving to the hotel. My sister got us a hotel in Lakewood and they were already down there and 
just the five of us were in our vehicle when we got the text from a neighbor that they had announced all of them were gone. And we, the kids, the kids were asking, what was that? What was that? So we have a, a 12 year old, a 10 year old, and a six year old. And uh, they were pretty frightened when we were evacuating me for good reason. Um, but they just asked and we told them. So us trying to hold in our emotions and then the kids, uh, sadness and, and frustration on my, my 12 year old was pretty frustrated and uh, just almost instantly angry. Cause I think he regretted what he grabbed on the way out. Uh, he even put a wet towel over some of his toys before he left thinking that might, you know, help. Uh, so we, we all just kind of grieved together on the drive to the hotel and went right up to the room and tried to process it. Well, and you, you mentioned that you had lived in California and um, had to evacuate because of the Tubbs fire, which at the time was one of California's most destructive wildfires. Um, did you learn anything from that experience that came up over this last week? Uh, I'd never really thought about that. I would say probably don't wait because when we evacuated our place in Petaluma, that was a, that was a, we, it wasn't a mandatory evacuation, but there was only one highway in and out. So it was, let's get out of here before the traffic starts. Uh, let's, let's not, let's not hesitate. Uh, cause we were in the, in the hills between Petaluma and Sonoma. So we just got down to, uh, Mill Valley as, as quickly as possible before it got too crazy. And I mean, we didn't lose our home there. It was just kind of a precautionary thing because I didn't want to get stuck in traffic. And I think the same thing applied on Thursday where we heard the freeway closed and there's only two ways out of that Sagamore neighborhood. And they all kind of filtered to that same McCaslin Boulevard. And sure enough, driving out of there, we didn't hit too much, but there was a little bit of backup right by the Whole Foods. And we ended up just taking back roads headed south to basically avoid any kind of log jam. Well, Stephen, I understand that you've received a lot of support and donations from all over the community in the last week, um, and that there's a GoFundMe account for your family that has about $53,000. What has that been like to get this kind of help from people around you during such a tough time? It's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty shocking. We've, we've obviously coming from California, we've seen these type of things happen before, but we've never witnessed the outpouring coming to us. It's so much easier to give than it is to receive because the receiving side of it is, it's this weird emotion of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's humbling and it's great, but it was, it just, as soon as that GoFundMe was set up a few hours afterwards, just seeing the people who are donating people you haven't talked to in years, high school friends, parents, um, just, it was, I don't know. It's a weird, weird feeling. My wife is, she's a coach, a volleyball coach here in Colorado and the outpouring from that community, as well as a homeschool community here offering to uh, replace all the homeschooling supplies. And then also in California, the volleyball community out there, she's got a ton of support from uh, my friends have all bonded together. Guys I've known from high school, uh, so much support there. And even in Hawaii, we, we met and lived in Hawaii for a good while and so much support from out there has just been been flowing in. Like you mentioned, the GoFundMe is, it's pretty astounding. And also just the, the Sagamore, um, the Sagamore crew, our kids played outside every day. 
they were always playing football out in the street or playing some sort of game on somebody's porch. Even if that kid wasn't at home, they, they just would go and sit and play card games or, or do something outside. And we've all kind of banded together. And that's, again, the only thing that's helping us make it through this is that outpouring of, of support. That's the first part of our conversation with Marshall Fire survivor Stephen Boatwright. After a short break, we'll have more of that conversation. And we check in with KUNC's Lee Patterson, who spent time this week at the Boulder County Disaster Assistance Center. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Today, we are hearing from survivors of the Marshall Fire. If you're just joining us, Stephen Boatwright is a father of three and resident of Superior. He and his family lost their home in the fire last week. Stephen, I understand that you were renting your home. Um, did you have renter's insurance, or what's what's the situation like there? We didn't have renter's insurance. Um, pretty big mistake on our part, obviously, but we didn't have renter's insurance. We had our, our pop-up camper that we just finished renovating in the spring. Uh, so I guess the, the first thing we did was we, we reached out to our neighbors. We had a pretty tight-knit community there of probably five or six houses and we had the chat group and talking about what they did and what's the next move some were owners some were renters some had renters insurance some didn't so just trying to figure out what everyone's doing first thing we did was contact FEMA and fill out that that stuff online I think as soon as the government released those those funds and the next day one of the people from FEMA was flying into town and we set up an interview and he did the assessment and we got our money pretty quick from FEMA, the renter's assistance. Uh, so that, that was great. And then outside of that, I mean, there was nothing to file with insurance except for my wife's vehicle. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much it on like the insurance side. And where are you staying now? Do you have a, a firm place? We're, so the first three nights we stayed in a hotel in Lakewood. Uh, and then a friend of mine, um, she used her points uh, to get us a Hilton down in Highlands Ranch. So we're here until Tuesday while we try to figure out our next step. What does school look like for your kids right now? I understand that you guys do homeschooling. Is that kind of on the back burner for now? Yeah, I think... Um, well, definitely it's on the back burner. It's pretty hard to try to get them to sit down with, with a math book and a curriculum for my wife to even try to focus on that. Um, so in a way it's, it's a bit of a blessing that we can do that because I, I don't know, I know our neighbors are, are having to deal with getting their, their kids back in school or dealing with those schedules. And we have a little bit of flexibility on our side. So we feel fortunate, fortunate there. Have you been doing anything to sort of lift their spirits or help them understand what's been happening? Yeah. I mean, we're definitely trying to just keep them communicating. My wife has them doing journals every day and writing and just getting, getting those thoughts from the brains to their hands, to the paper, to get it out and then making sure that we're talking with them and uh, getting them to express frustrations and feelings and not kind of push it away. We're not trying to sweep it under the rug either. Acknowledge that it happened. Acknowledge that the Christmas gifts are gone. Uh, we've, again, with the generosity side, we've had so many people donate and for, for those small material things, which is awesome. But for the mental side, we're just trying to keep them talking and yeah, just communicating. 
You even had a recent birthday in the family. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, our five-year-old daughter was turning six January 1st. So we, we had quite the, the stacked agenda. <laughs> we Christmas with my sister in town and then the New Year's Eve celebration with my mother's ashes and then January 1st, our daughter's birthday. And we had, my sister was working on a cake with her. Uh, it was a rainbow unicorn cake and they were making all the layers to it, making the fondant. And then after all this happened, we were just kind of determined to still give her a birthday. I mean, the youngest of the three, I think she was probably affected the least, um, not quite understanding what was happening, but we, people who were reaching out, found out it was her birthday and they were dropping off donations, clothes, food, and also wrapped presents and cards that were written from children she never met. So she probably got another 20 wrapped presents for her birthday, just from, from strangers. And somebody found out that she liked Jojo Siwa and there was a lot of Jojo stuff. And on the cake side, my cousin's wife, she, my sister reached out to her and then she reached out to a friend of hers who makes cakes on the side. And she made a, it's a unicorn cake surprise. I don't know what it is, but it's a cake that has the the sprinkles inside when you cut it, the sprinkles come out. So this, I've never met this, this lady. I have no idea who she is, but she made this cake in 24 hours free of charge. And it was a, it was a really nice cake. Um, so that was awesome. And we took her to build a bear and because they lost all their, their obviously everything. So there's no stuffed animals. So we got her a build a bear and just let her walk around the mall, went to in and out and uh, kind of just had a family celebration at the hotel. Well, Stephen, with the understanding that just so much is changing every single day, um, do you know what your next steps are and, and where your family sort of heads from here? We, we're still trying to figure it out. There's, we definitely want to just remove the kids from the situation for a while. Uh, we do like to travel a lot. Um, we're maybe, you know, I'm not sure. We, we thought about hitting the road, getting an RV and just getting out and hit the road with the kids just for a little bit to have our family time and continue this, I guess, grieving process until we figure out where we want to land. Um, uh, I mean, we can homeschool from the road, so that's definitely helpful. Uh, so we're, we're not sure. We're still trying to figure things out. We need to see if we're going to be able to go, go in and sift through our stuff. I mean, the ashes are pretty toxic, so there's there's that whole side of things. And there is there is resources in the community where they offer to come and help you sift. Uh, we bought the full the full setup of the respiratory mask, the coveralls, the gloves, the protective eyewear, the booties, because I mean it's it's pretty toxic up there. But at the same time, it's hard to think of leaving and not getting some sort of belongings back. Stephen Boatwright is a father of three, superior resident, and Marshall Fire survivor. Stephen, thanks for speaking with us, and take care, and I I wish you all the best ahead. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Now we're going to hear how some other fire survivors are handling the loss and damage to their homes. KUNC's Lee Patterson went to the Boulder County Disaster Assistance Center in Lafayette earlier this week to talk with people who've lost their homes about what's next for them. 
Now, what sort of services are really being offered at this facility? So you pull into the parking lot, which was pretty crowded on the day that I was there, and there are all of these insurance trailers parked outside, you know, like with State Farm flags and USAA flags. It's called Insurance Alley, someone told me. The idea is that you can first get insurance help by visiting one of these trailers, and then you go inside and file a claim with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, um, and also the U.S. Small Business Administration. Well, it sounds like a lot of what's being offered there revolves around insurance. Yeah, yeah, um, but also other services, you know, access to food, COVID tests, mental health services. I talked with people who were sitting and waiting to meet with FEMA agents. Here are a couple of their stories. We're going to start with Justin Meschler, who was there with his wife. How's your, how's your house? House is not livable. Everything smells like a chemical fire. And um, the um, electrical wires were melted from fire. The, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, it's just, um, we're, we're really grateful the firemen saved it, and, and that's amazing. And we're in a much better shape, I feel, for my neighbors who have completely lost their house. Meschler was there applying for FEMA assistance in case there's a shortfall in what his private insurance is going to cover. What's next for, for you guys? Where, where are you living right now? So that, that was the biggest concern I had was um, finding a place to live, but we thankfully found a rental house about 30 minutes from here. And that's just been a huge load off my shoulders because we have two girls and you know, a wife. And <laughs> so I just wanted, wanted a roof over our head. So. As he trailed off talking there, tears were welling up in his eyes. And there's just, you know, of course, a lot of stress and sadness. Uh, Virginia Howland, for example, her house was completely burned down, like down to the foundation. She actually saw it in flames on live TV. Well, we just wake up every morning and just wish we could go home, uh, you know, but um, we're here, you know, so, and our family's all fine and we're safe and our dog is safe. Everything else is just material. Most of it's replaceable. Howland, for now, is staying at a hotel. She's trying to get temporary housing lined up. She's reordering medications, getting her mail rerouted, that sort of thing. She's also been replacing some of their stuff. Well, this might sound crazy, but we had postponed celebrating Christmas. You know, one of our kids had gotten COVID despite being fully vaccinated and boosted. So we were going to celebrate at our house on New Year's Eve. And, uh, you know, so... All of the gifts went up with the tree in the house and everything. And honestly, like, that was one of the first things that was really bugging me was like, damn, I really wanted them to have some of that. You know, so I kind of was working on getting some of that replaced. You know, and now it's just kind of the reality is setting in and that we have to figure out where we're going to live and how we're going to get that done. Well, one thing she mentioned there is, of course, COVID, and thanks to the Omicron variant, we're seeing case numbers surge uh, over the past few weeks. What role is the virus playing in the aftermath of the Marshall Fire? Is that an issue at the center? Well, I think it touches many, many aspects of life, of course, you know, from kids returning to school in the area to families having to spend time in places like the Disaster Assistance Center, which is an indoor facility with lots and lots of people. Jenny Zerl, who lost her home in the fire, uh, put it to me this way. 
It's a very tough time to be going through this with COVID, the supply chain issues. Um, it's, a, it's a very multifaceted problem. I think if you lost your home 10 years ago, not that it wouldn't be difficult, but I think the rebuilding and the supplies and the pricing, it just would have been a whole different story. We really, uh, it's very complex now. Zerl isn't sure if she'll rebuild her home, but for now, she thinks she's found a rental in the Westminster area uh, through a friend at work. Uh, she says members of her community are dispersing all across the Front Range. Um, that's the other thing. Many of my neighbors ended up moving to Brighton to, you know, really far out. The housing market's very, very tight here, so already before such a catastrophe happened. So we're left with little housing options um, and rentals. Woolley, with not a lot of housing options, what is actually available? The county is working with the Boulder Area Rental Housing Association to list available housing. That website is marshallfirehousing.com. The Colorado Apartment Association is also listing available rental units for displaced families. That's on its website. And, you know, as you've heard, people are also staying in hotels and finding rentals through word of mouth. Here's Jenny Zerl again. Some days you wake up you're kind of laying there in the bed thinking, oh, I opened my eyes thinking I'm in my bed. And then I'm like, oh, God, I'm still in this hotel. This really did happen. It wasn't a dream. And um, very surreal. And some days you feel so overwhelmed, you can't think of what is the next best step of what to do next. As we have said, my husband and I, we could really use a catastrophe doula, so to speak. No one prepares you for this. You don't know the process, what to do next, next steps. KUNC's Lee Patterson reporting on the aftermath of the Marshall Fire. Uh, Lee, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. That's our show for today. Join us next week as we continue to cover the recovery in the aftermath of the Marshall fires and how the scale of recent fires across the West connects back to climate change. I'm Henry Zimmerman. Today's episode was produced by Tess Novotny. Our digital editor is Jackie High. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.